Well, everyone, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. For those of you who are joining us online, for those of you who are in here worshiping with us, and for those of you who are worshiping outside, it's a lovely day to be come to God and worship Him um, this morning. And I'd like to especially um, welcome my dear friends, Miller and Jetty Fong here. Uh, They were with me uh, at Evergreen. And he uh, teaches at the USC School of Architecture. And he always, whenever someone's speaking, he's always illustrating. So I hope I look good. If I knew you were coming, I probably would have dressed up a little bit better. So when you illustrate me, um, just illustrate me a little bit thinner. I'd appreciate that. But welcome, everybody. Um, For those of you who uh, don't know, we've been going over Romans um, chapter 8 because there's so so many blessings. And and part of what we want to do here is we want to create a culture of discipleship. And in order for us to have that culture of discipleship here at Mission Valley, we've got to have that firm foundation. And Romans 8, you know, there's so many truths about developing that firm foundation, and that's why we're going through Romans chapter 8. But, I, I, you know, for those of you, and I was just reminded that we are coming up on the second year anniversary of COVID-19. It, it was just over two years ago when we had to make that decision. What do we do? Do we shut down our churches because of COVID-19? We didn't know uh, what COVID-19 was. You know, we thought this was going to be a little blip in our lives where, okay, yes, it's something that we're going to have to go through this spring, but by the summer, it'll be all over. But now we're celebrating our second year anniversary, and we didn't realize the suffering that it would cause us. You know, um, whether I was just reading um, in an article about, you know, schools still battling about whether or not students and teachers should be wearing masks, right? And for now, for me, um, putting on a mask is similar to putting on a seatbelt, right? Because I was around when um, we didn't have to wear seatbelts. And then the government said, we have to wear seatbelts. And just the outrage that caused everybody, you know, that we don't want to wear seatbelts. You know, we didn't have to wear them. What's the purpose? But now I just put on a seatbelt without even thinking. And so masks have become that. But we're going to take a look at, you know, the suffering that we experience today compared to the glory that we will once experience. And the suffering that we're going through today can't even be compared to the glory that we're going to experience in heaven. So hopefully that'll make our suffering a little bit easier to take here, knowing that one day, one day, the glory we experience, our suffering, you know, can't even compare to that, meaning it's going to be so great one day, and that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we start, I want to go over just a few of the blessings that we've been able to go through through Romans chapter 8. And the first one is that we see in one of the greatest verses in the Bible, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Then no matter if you believe in Jesus Christ, no matter how many times you mess up, God will never, ever condemn you now and forever. And so when you, you get these voices condemning yourself, when you make a mistake and you're hearing these voices, I guarantee you that's not coming from God because God promised that he will never, ever, for all time, condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. Then second one is that he, we are given the righteousness of God. Do you know that each one of you are just as righteous as God? Okay, now I didn't say that you were God, 
But I said, you are as righteous as God. Why? Not because of your good works, because he's given you his righteousness, that the only way we could enter into the kingdom of heaven, if we are completely 100% righteous. Remember I said that you can't enter the kingdom of God partly righteous. You can't say, well, you know what? I'm mostly righteous. No, that's not good enough. You have to be completely righteous, and God knows that. And the only way we could be completely righteous is if he gives us his righteousness, and he's done that. He's given us spiritual life. We were once spiritually dead, but now we are spiritually alive, and we are now at peace with God. You know, before we were his enemies, but now we are at peace with God. And so we're going to learn in the future that God is never against you. Why? Because you're at peace with him. He's, there's a promise of a physical resurrection in Romans 8.11 that one day we are going to get new bodies that are free from diabetes and hypertension and high blood pressure and cancer and all of that. Our bodies will be perfect and one day we are going to get those bodies. You know, last uh, two weeks ago, we learned that we were adopted into God's family and we are now his children and nothing could ever take you away from that. That cannot be taken away from you. Once you're his child, you'll always be his child and that can't be taken away from you. And we also learn that we are co-heirs of Christ. And the Bible is clear. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us on earth, God is going to reward him and God is going to give him everything as his reward and as his inheritance. Right? Everything in the universe is going to be given to Jesus. But the Bible also says that we are his co-heirs. Right? We are his co-heirs. So what does that mean? That we will be given Everything, not because of what we've done, because God has made us co-heirs of Christ. Why? Because we are his children. And so he is going to give us everything. And these are just, we've only gone through, excuse me, uh, 16 verses. And these are the wonderful promises that God's given to us. But we're going to see another one. We're going to see another one. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Romans 8, chapter 18? And we're just going to go through one verse today. Romans 8, chapter 18. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And Paul knew that the Christian church was suffering, and he's encouraging them and saying, you know, guys, I know that you're suffering. I know that it's tough. But one day, one day, the glory that you are going to be experiences, it, it can't even compare to the sufferings. It is going to be so great and so wonderful that it'll make our sufferings a thing in the past, and it can't even compare with that. And that's something that we all look forward to, that we all get to look forward to, that one day, that one day, we're going to experience that glory that we can't even comprehend, but it's going to be so good. But that's a promise that God makes to us. And so, the question, so what we're going to talk about today is this sermon title is, There's, Relief is on the Way. 
And so today is relief from what? Suffering. So today we're going to talk about what it doesn't mean or what is Paul talking about suffering. And then next week we're going to talk about the glory that we're going to experience. So what is the suffering that he's talking about here? Well, we see that in Romans 8, 17, the verse before that, where Paul says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now the suffering here Paul is talking about is suffering for the sake of our faith. Suffering for the sake of Jesus, right? He's not referring to the suffering that we that is caused by nature. And we've seen that that Tonga has been decimated by that volcano and the tsunamis, right? And people are suffering there. But he's not talking about suffering that is caused by nature, um, or earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. He's not talking about the suffering there, although he knows that we do suffer from that. He's not talking about suffering from illness too, because we all when we all uh, experience illness, we suffer. Paul is not talking about that type of illness here, though it does kind of fit because one day the glory is going to, that we experience is going to be so great. The suffering that we experience from those things, you know, can't even compare. But the suffering Paul is talking about here is not that. He's talking about the suffering that we experience by being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 11, it's not up there, but you could take a look at this on your own. You know, Paul says that I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged, meaning whipped, with these, uh, what they have these, they'd have this whip that had these tails on it. And what they would do is at the end of the whip, they would put pieces of metal, bone, or whatever, and they'd whip you. And then when they pulled it back, it would just rip off um, you know, parts of your flesh. And so what Paul says, he's been flogged more severely and exposed to death again and again. He said, five times I've re- received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So Paul is saying five times he was whipped 39 times, okay? Um, he said, three times I've been beaten with rods. Rods are these heavy pieces of wood. And they had to be careful how they flogged you. Be- I mean, hit you with rods because that could have killed you. He said, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day on open sea. I've been constantly on the move, meaning that he had no place to call home. You know, he- I've been in dangers from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold, and I have been naked. Wow. You know, this is the sufferings that Paul had to go through as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I remember at my pastors at Evergreen, we had this one pastor come, and he told us about the persecutions that the Christians experienced in Japan. And at that time, I had no idea the Christians were persecuted in Japan until he came and he shared a sermon on that. And he was talking about the persecution that they experienced in 17th century Japan. And he talked about, you know, how they would, they would have a picture 
of, uh, or a piece of wood or something that had the, uh, Jesus being crucified or something, and they were asked to, uh, the Christians or everybody were asked to step on it. And if you stepped on it, they knew that you weren't a Christian. But if you did step on it, then they knew you were a Christian. And this pastor said what they would do is they would take Christian families and they would boil them in water and in oil. You know, and he would often let the children be executed first so the parents could see that. And I was also, they were also tortured. And I read this in an article in the BBC where it says, the main aim of the torture was not so much to kill those who refused, but to break their resolve. Sometimes there was even a doctor present so that when a Christian was being tortured, when a Christian being tortured looked like they were going to die, they would be nursed back to health so they could be tortured all over again. And they said an estimated 2,000 Japanese Christian people died um, as martyrs, refusing to announce, renounce their faith. And I was recently watching an article in NHK, and they, they, they actually highlighted the Christians that were persecuted for their faith. And, you know, I've also told you before when Grace and I did a missions to Japan, they told us what their missionaries were doing, that they would smuggle Bibles into China, knowing full well that if they were caught, they would probably put into prison. And they told us about this one a woman who was a Christian. And so because she was a Christian, they put her in prison for her faith. But they didn't put her in a woman's prison. They put her in a male prison, Right. And so she was in a cell with other males in prison. But what happened was she started converting them to Christianity. So they moved her to another cell, and she converted them to Christianity. And she was converting so many people, inmates, to Christianity, they didn't know what to do with her. All right? Suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, this is a very foreign concept to us, right? You know, some of us, and I think this is one of the hardest concepts for us to understand, because when we look at, you know, Paul and what he went through, we look at what the Christians in Japan went through, we look at what um, these missionaries to China, they were going through, and when we look at Christians around the world, even today, who are persecuted for the gospel, we can't relate to that. Why? Well, because we have laws in this country that protect us from that. We have, we experience uh, freedom of religion, so we are not persecuted by that, by, uh, for our faith to that extent. And so this is so hard for us to comprehend. And yet, the Bible tells us, and Paul is telling us here, that we will suffer from our faith. So what does that look like in our context here? And even Jesus says this in John 15, starting with verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So the first thing that we need to understand as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that suffering for Christ is a sign that your citizenship is in heaven and not in this world. 
Why? Because Jesus said, you are going to suffer. Many times Jesus told his disciples that they were going to suffer because of him. And the world would hate them because of him. Why? Because he was hated first. And because he was hated first, his disciples will be hated first. And why is suffering for the gospel so important? Because the amount you suffer for something shows its importance to you. Right? The amount you suffer for something shows it's important for you. If you have to go through something, if you're trying to accomplish something and it's really not that important to you, and all of a sudden you have to suffer for it, you just say, ah, yeah, forget it. I don't want to do this, right? And how many times have us have tried that when we wanted to go on a diet, right? We know that, okay, our goal is to um, lose some, some weight so we can live a healthier lifestyle, right? And so... We, we think it's important to us until we look at Food Network and we look at all of the things that people are eating or we go, oh, man, that pizza looks good. Or that one hamburger, that's not going to make a difference, right? And so we realize, oh, I got to exercise. I got to start running or whatever. And then we start to suffer. And then we, after a while we say, ah, forget it. You know, it's not worth it. Why? Because it was never that important to us in the first place. And once we have to suffer just a tiny bit, it's like, okay, forget it. I'm not going to do this, right? Christianity has prospered the most when the church is persecuted. Throughout history, Christianity was most successful and prospered the most when it was persecuted. And this is why we have such a weak faith in the United States. Because we have never had to suffer for our faith. And our faith has become something where, you know, you just say a prayer and you're saved. It doesn't really matter. That's what's the important thing. So a whole generation of Christians went up. They said their prayer. It really didn't matter how they lived their life. They didn't have to suffer for the gospel. It was just saying that prayer. And boom, you're saved. And so many people have done that. And we're realizing that that's not faith at all. And that that there are so many believers in this country that I think are going to be surprised when they meet Jesus. And instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, they're going to hear, I never knew you. Why? Because they didn't have a firm foundation. And this is why it's so important for us to lay that foundation. This is why it's so important for us to create a discipleship culture here at Mission Valley. Because I don't want anyone at Mission Valley to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you thought faith was just saying a prayer and that was it. No, it's about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. It's about living the life that Jesus wants. By the way, it's the best way we could live our lives, right? But suffering reveals what's important to you. And the church prospered the most when it was persecuted. And Jesus said in verse 20 in John 15, Remember I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they'd obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Once again, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. Why? Because they do not know the person 
who sent you. They do not know me. They do not know Jesus. They are not believers, right? They will hate the way you live. They hate the message that you, the gospel message. They will hate you because it threatens them and it threatens their lifestyle and so they'll hate you. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. How many um, outreach or event, event, what do you call those things? Oh, when they come, when people come and they're saved, like Greg Laurie does that. What? Evangelists, right? How many evangelist events have we been to where they send a message like this? Hey, by the way, guys, you know, if you uh, come to know Jesus, your sins will be uh, forgiven. You'll be, going, uh, you'll be going into heaven. Oh, by the way, you're going to be hated, right? You're going to be persecuted, right? The world is not going to like you. How many, how many of us heard that message? You know, I never once heard that message. I heard, you know what, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. And then, so, okay, I'm in, right? But they didn't tell me about uh, this part. And it says, true believers will experience suffering and persevere to the end, right? Now, this doesn't mean that there will be some times when you are going to lapse. Peter did that. Remember when he was confronted by this little girl who said, hey, weren't you one of them? Weren't you one of the disciples? What did Peter do? He goes, no, 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 I, it wasn't me. No, you're mistaken. And three times he did that. And the Bible doesn't say that, but he started swearing, you know, because he, he was denying Jesus Christ so fervently. Even he messed up. And there are times when we are going to do the same. But what he's talking about here is not momentary lapses. He's talking about those who persevere to the end. And when we persevere, that's nothing that we could do on our own. That is a gift of God. That God will give each one of us the gift of perseverance. Because he promised that, you know, he who began a good work uh, in us will what? See it to completion. So God's, when God started a work in us, he's going to see it to completion. So perseverance is not from your own strength, and it's not from you. It is a gift that God has given us, and that's what he's talking about here. But remember the four soils Jesus talked about? He was talking about um, four soils and how they represented different type of people as they uh, heard the gospel message. But there was this one soil, Jesus said that, you know, a seed was planted and the plant grew. But what? It didn't have any roots. Those roots didn't go deep. So when the sun came, it withered and it died. And what Jesus said was this represented people that would come to the gospel, that they would eagerly accept the gospel message, right? Because who doesn't want to go to heaven? Who doesn't want to have their sins forgiven? But... As soon as persecution came, they said, you know what? I didn't sign on for this. You know, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I thought would happen, right? And if you take a look at Jesus, what did Jesus do? You know, he started off with many disciples. And what did he do? He made his message harder and harder and harder. Why? Because he was weeding people out. And so only those who were willing to suffer for them, him. Only those who are willing to make this an important part of their, the most important part of their lives would stick around. Everybody else said, man, this is crazy. I don't want to accept that. 
So true believers will suffer, you know, to the end. Even Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that, are, that you are going through as if something strange is happening to you. Right? It says, don't, my next point is, don't be surprised when you suffer for the sake of Christ. Be concerned if you don't. This is an important principle. Don't be surprised when you suffer for the sake of Christ. Be concerned if you don't. And this is what Peter is saying here. He goes, don't be surprised if you suffer for Christ. Jesus told you that. Jesus told us that. Jesus told you that. The Apostle Paul is preaching that. So when you are suffering for the cause of Christ, don't say, hey, where did that happen? Wow, that caught me off guard. You know, I didn't think this was going to happen. And Peter's, uh, Peter's saying, no, this is normal. This is normal. You're not doing anything wrong. Because a lot of times people back then equated suffering with they're doing something wrong. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Don't be surprised when you go through suffering as if something strange has happened to you. This is perfectly normal. And I think Christians under, understood this. And when I went through my knee operation this past October, right when I was going to take it, I knew that afterwards there was going to be suffering. I knew that once I got my knee surgery right after, there wasn't going to be any pain. And actually, I was surprised when there wasn't. Because the day after surgery, I went to PT. They came to the room, and they had me walk on steps. And I was just walking all over the place and walking up steps and said, hey, I don't need you anymore. I'm just doing fine. Look, at I got a new knee. No pain. All right, everything's good. I didn't realize that I was still under a heavy dose of pain medication. And so I couldn't feel it until I got home. And it's like, ow! And I was surprised by that, right? Because I thought I was doing so well. Peter's saying the same thing. Guys, you're going to suffer for the cause of Christ. But don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Be concerned if you're not. Because Jesus says that the world's going to hate you because of me. Paul is saying, read Paul's letters. He said that as a believer, you're going to suffer. Peter's saying the same thing here. And why is that? Because we have an enemy. First Peter 5, 8. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The minute we made peace with God, we gained a new enemy, and that was Satan. And Satan is constantly, 24-7, trying to destroy us. And the only reason that you and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are still alive today is, number one, it's God's protection, and it's God's will. That each one of us are, um, are invincible until God causes calls us home so we have an enemy that's trying to destroy us we have an enemy who's trying to mess up our lives and so we will suffer just because of that but if we take a look at who jesus suffered from who the apostle paul suffered from you know their um, suffering primarily came from three sources number one we know the devil number two it came from the world why because the world hates the way 
we live because our values are what? Are in total contrast to the world. And when we live our lives, we don't even have to judge them, but we judge people by the way we live our lives. And I've shared before that when I worked at Continental that my super, as a supervisor, my manager asked me to falsify reports to make our station look better. And as a Christian, I couldn't do that because I said, number one, this is lying and I'm not, and this is something that God, I know is wrong and I can't do this. And so I remember telling my direct man, I'm not going to do this because I believe this is wrong. And he's saying, if you're not, I'm going to suspend you and then we're going to eventually fire you. Right. And I go, okay, this is great. Right. You know, suffering for I'm doing what I thought was right. Dear in God, I thought I was going to be blessed. But now it looks like I'm going to be suspended and I'm going to be fired for trying to follow you. But I had made a mistake in my previous job of not following God and it ended up in a total disaster. So I made a promise to God that this time I would learn from my mistakes and I would do it right this time at Continental. And this was part of me doing, trying to do it right, trying to follow him, right? And why? Did I judge him? Did I say, what kind of a person are you to um, make your employees falsify? I didn't say any of that. I didn't point my fingers at him. I didn't say, hey, you're a terrible person. But just because I did that, he knew it was wrong, Right? And I didn't have to say anything, but it totally ticked him off, and it angered him, right? Because I did what I thought was right, and it reflected on him that he was doing something that he knew was wrong, and nobody likes to be confronted by that. And so they hate you, and so this is what he's talking about. So the world's going to hate you. You may not be out there pointing your fingers at them, but the way you live your life should be so different. It's like, oh, by the way you're living your life, it's kind of pointing out the way that I'm living my life. And most people know, have a sense of right and wrong, especially in this country. Most people have a sense of what's right and wrong. And by, doing, by following Christ, what we're doing is we're just pointing out to them that, hey, man, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is not right. And they, people hate that. They hate that. And finally, you're going to be, they were persecuted by the church. Right? They were persecuted by the church. And even that happens in the church. You may be walking with the Lord. You may be studying with your Bible in a life group, growing. You're seeing Christ work in your lives, right? You're, you're growing in your faith. And other people at church see that. And then they hate you for that. Why? Because they don't see that in their lives. How do I know that? Because I was one of those persons. I used to hate Christians that were growing. Right? I used to, oh, please, stop with that testimony. I don't want to hear it. Right? Come on. You know? But you know why I was so upset? I was so upset because I wasn't living the Christ life. And what they were doing by testifying how God was so good in their life, how they were growing, they were making me realize that I wasn't growing in my faith. So what did I do? I couldn't stand them. I couldn't stand them. Why? Because they were just pointing out my flaws. It had nothing to do with them until I realized that. And then I said, you know what? It's not about them. It's about me. 
And so many people are persecuted in the church. And I hear that too. Some of you are saying, man, it's so hard. I get criticized for doing ministry, right? You know, you're, you're doing your best to try to serve the Lord here at Mission Valley and people are criticizing you. Well, you know, amen. You know, this is what Paul is talking about here. You will be blessed. Don't be discouraged by criticism because most of it's being leveled by jealous people, right? <laughs> like I was. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep serving the Lord, no matter how you're persecuted, right? Because suffering shows what's important to you. And one thing that's to me is so sad is that I read an article that as of 2021, 38% of pastors in America are thinking about leaving the ministry. Could you imagine that? Almost 40% of pastors are considering leaving the ministry because of the, of, of the situation that they're facing in the churches, of the criticism, the persecution that they're getting from their own members and, this, and um, what's going on in this country. That's crazy that only f- almost 50%. Who's going to lead the church if over 40% of the pastors want to quit? And once again... Yes, I've been beat up as a pastor. Yes, I've had some pretty harsh criticisms against me, you know. But it's important for me to continue to lead you to help develop a discipleship culture here that, yes, if I'm going to suffer, why it's important for me. So I'm not going to quit until, you know, the Lord tells me to. And even if I retire, I'm not going to retire from ministry. You know, maybe one day I'd like to be an interim pastor somewhere, work, you know, two, three years somewhere and help a church get through that. But it's important to me. It's important to me that each one of you grow in your faith. Because I want to be with each one of you, you know, and stand right next to you when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, so I could clap with you. I mean, I'm already so proud of you guys, but I'm looking forward to that day when I could stand with you, when you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is the only thing that's important to me, is that you grow in your faith. And that's why I'm willing to take all of these shots. I was just joking around with somebody this morning that they they said, man, you lost all your hair. Believe it or not, when I started ministry, I had a full head of hair. (laughs) And it was black. Now look. You know, but that's okay. It's okay. You know, suffering for the Lord. Why? Because <laughs> it's important. It's important to me. And this brings us to back to Romans eight eighteen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I know some of you are suffering right now. Some of you are being ridiculed by other members of this church. I want you to keep going. Let that motivate you. Because, you know, I was just talking with a um, a staff member this week, and they said, Dave, we really need to start praying for the church. Because once we're going this direction and trying to grow disciples of Jesus Christ, Satan is not going to like that. So Satan's going to try to disrupt what we are doing here. So we need to pray. Pray for our people and pray for God's protection. But that will not deter us from moving forward. 
right? That will not deter. And that's a promise that I'm making you right now. That you could call me whatever you want. You could gossip about me all you want. I just want you to grow in your faith. And I may say some things that you may not like. But please, please know that these things are coming out of love. Right? They're coming out of love. And I'm willing to take that hit. Why? Because it's important to me. But one day, one day is the glory that we all experience will make our suffering so minuscule that you'll just say, man, what was that? I mean, how many of you have gone through a medical procedure where you really suffered afterwards, maybe a long time ago, and you're saying, oh, man, this really stinks. And now you probably can't even remember it, right? Right? Or you can't really remember that pain. You, you know that, yeah, you went through pain, but that's what it's going to be like in heaven. It's going to be so wonderful that all the suffering that you're going through now, although you think it's the worst thing in the world, is going to be like a the distant memory. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. And so I hope you all come because that's a great promise that God gives each one of us. So what's our weekly challenge? I want us to read Romans 8, 17 through 18 and John 15, 18 through 21 daily. It says, if you are in a place where you're suffering, remind yourself, if you're in a place of suffering, remind yourself that it can't compare with the future glory you will experience. That one day, man, life is going to be wonderful. That'll make your suffering look like nothing. And then ask, for, ask others um, to pray for God's strength and endurance as you experience difficult times. For some of you right now, um, you're going through some difficult times. The only way you're going to get through this is through God's strength, not your own. So ask others in this community to pray for you as you go through that. So as we um, prepare for uh, communion, uh, would you please join me in prayer and worship team, please come forward. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that all the suffering that we go through in this world is not in vain. And Father, one day we are going to be rewarded for it. And Father, I look so forward to that day when we experience the glory, when we experience the word and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, that all of the sufferings that we are going through today will, gosh, be so meaningless and that things are just going to be so awesome in heaven that whatever we're going through today can't even compare to the wonderful experience we'll have in heaven. And Father, I know that there are people here suffering right now. They could be suffering because they're trying to do what's right and they're suffering. Maybe people are talking about them, gossiping about them. Maybe they might be experiencing uh, threats or actions at work because of the way they live their life. But Father, may you encourage them and let them know that you said this was going to happen. But Father, you have overcome the world, so we don't need to be afraid of that. And Father, that you will take care of us even if we experience the consequences of living the life that you want us to live as your disciples. 
You will always take care of us. So thank you for that. Father, please bring encouragement to all those who suffer right now. Father, for the people who are struggling between knowing what is of this world and is wrong and what you want, Father, I pray that you would give them your strength to be able to overcome that, knowing that on our own, we're no match for Satan. On our own, we're no match for the persecutions of this world. And on our own, we're no match for the persecutions we face within the church. But for, with your power, Lord, nothing's impossible. And so thank you, Father, that you give us the strength to endure suffering. That, Father, we indeed, who are your believers, will persevere to the end, even though we don't feel like we have the strength, even though we feel like we want to give up. You made a promise to us that you will be the one that ensures we persevere to the end. So, Father, we thank you that we could trust you when we feel like giving up. May we continue to be encouraged by your word. And Father, may we live, leave this service with hope, knowing that relief will be coming in a form that we can't even imagine. And it's because it's too wonderful for our brains to comprehend right now. Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray, amen.